Welcome to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast, where you go behind the scenes with financial planner, speaker, and consultant Michael Kitsis to hear stories of how leading financial advisors navigated the inevitable challenges that arise on the path to success and get insight from leading industry consultants about how to break through to the next level in your advisory business. And now here's your host, Michael Kitsis. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 37th episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. My guest on today's podcast is Joanna Fox-Turner. Joanna is the founder of Fox & Company, a fee-only financial planning firm that specializes in working with physicians. What's unique about Joanna's advisory business, though, is the sheer volume of rapid growth that she's had with her recent pivot to specializing in doctors. After having already spent more than 10 years building her generalist fee-only advisory business, and more than 30 years working as a CPA with a separate accounting firm, focusing into a niche has transformed her growth from a practice that had steadily grown to almost 150 clients in a decade to one that is now fielding four prospect inquiries a week from doctors. And 100% of her doctor clients work with her virtually through email and video conferencing. In this episode, Joanna details not only why she decided to make a shift to a niche advisory firm working with doctors on a purely virtual basis as a 60-year-old advisor, but how she actually went about marketing her new niche and the unique centers of influence to leading bloggers for doctors that she's been able to build relationships with to generate a high volume of referrals and why answering online questions in a niche can generate substantial new business even as answering similar questions on Ask an Advisor Q&A sites like NerdWallet generate no results. In addition, we also talk about the way that Joanna completely restructured her advisory fees from an AUM model into a three-tiered retainer structure to serve her niche, what scheduling and video teleconferencing software she adopted to work with these new clients, and the five-meeting planning process that she uses to deliver her financial planning value, built heavily around using eMoney Advisor not only to do financial planning, but to make the eMoney portal a central part of her value proposition for clients. And be certain to listen to the end where Joanna talks about how she broke the news of shifting into a niche to her existing clients and why, despite her fears, her existing non-doctor clients haven't left even as she focuses into her new doctor niche, although ironically, she voluntarily decided to transition out nearly a third of her smallest clients just to help create capacity for the new growth. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Financial Advisor Success Podcast with Joanna Fox-Turner. Welcome, Joanna Fox-Turner, to the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. Thank you. It is my pleasure to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show because you you sent me a really cool email that talked about some of the, the story of how your, your business has evolved over the past couple of years from being a CPA and, and just doing the tax and accounting side and then getting your CFP and starting to do financial planning and then shifting over the past few years into a niche and that it's not like it's kind of transformed the whole business. And so, you know, I, I just, I love these kind of transformation stories for advisors that, that find breakthroughs. And so I'm, I'm, I just, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to, to share the story of all the changes you've been making and, and what's worked and even some of the le- maybe lessons learned of what, what didn't work along the way. Okay. So as a starting point, can you tell us just a little bit about your advisory firm as it exists today? 
As it exists today, we're a fee-only financial advisory firm. I have a partner, Michelle Nicewinder, who is very instrumental in the firm, and also an office manager, Robin Elliott, who really keeps my head on straight. And then we have a new employee, Ben Nanny, who is a CPA and CFP, who sought us out, and he came on with us just in June. Okay. And so you're, I know you came originally out of the accounting world. You're a CPA and a CFP. Mm-hmm. So how much of the business is is tax work and accounting work versus the, the fee-only financial planning side? Well, there are two separate firms. I have different partners in each firm. So right now, the I split my time about 25% CPA, 75% financial planning until it gets to tax season. And then it's more 50-50 for those few months. Oh, that's, that's good. I thought you were going to say like, and then it's 90-10 the other no. way. <laughs> no, we're, we're pretty zen at okay. the CPA firm. Okay. So so you know, kind of 25% CPA, 75% financial planning, and the pendulum swings back a little, it'll be 50-50 yes. during, during tax season. Yeah. So what what is the... What does the accounting side of the business look like? Well, up until a year and a half ago, the accounting side looked kind of like the financial planning side, which was a little bit of everything. We worked with a lot of small businesses, a lot of tax, but we we do focus on a year-round business so that the tax return itself, we like to think of that as an afterthought because we've done planning all during the year. And so we don't want any surprises in March and April. Okay. And how many people are involved on the on the CPA firm side? CPA firm side, there are seven, including a part-time intern. Okay. But and but it sounds like you've got a partner over there that drives a lot of the the day-to-day management and activity of that business at this point, if you're if you're only over there 25% or so? Yes, absolutely. Two partners. Now, we added a young lady, Laura Clifford, in January of this year because she was working with so many of our physicians, and we wanted for her to have, you know, be officially the partner, and here you get all these physicians, and now that's your job. <laughs> okay. And so... Is the ownership shared at all between them, aside from just you're the, the common point between the two, but you, you and Michelle are on your own on the planning firm, and then you and the other partners are on their own on the CPA side? Yes. We're all in the same building. One side is financial planning and investment management. The other side is CPA services, and I, I literally have an office that is in the middle and one door opens to the CPA side, one door opens to the planning side. Wow, you you took that 50-50 split thing very literally yeah, in the office. <laughs> you just never know who's going to walk in here, but yes. So on the advisory firm side, can you tell us a little bit more about what that what that business looks like? I mean, are are you are you doing investment it sounds like you're doing investment management and planning but not the tax work because that gets referred over to the the separate CPA firm. Like what what actually happens in the financial planning business at this point? Yes. Well, we do tax planning, of course, as financial planners. That's what we do also. But it's more from the 30,000-foot angle looking down at 
planning for this year and many years ahead. We focus on financial planning. In other words, clients will come to, or prospective clients will come to us thinking, I need you to manage my investments or I, I don't want a lot of risk and, and that perspective. And we say, well, we really don't do that until we have a plan in place. So the plan gets the focus and we look at the investments as a tool to help them reach the goals in the plan, but not as the driver of the plan. Okay. And and how many clients do you work with on the planning firm side? Well, until recently, it was way too many, like <laughs> 150. But we had a lot of, we had businesses that had come to us through the CPA firm that had simple plans and we'd manage the simple plans and it it was really getting out of hand and until we changed into this niche focus we really didn't know what to do about it so now we're paring back and we would ha- we have less than 100 I don't have an exact number right now and and what did you do with the 50-odd clients that used to be part of the count, but now apparently aren't part of the account the count anymore. Yes, that was, that was difficult, but we have been working with a coach, Diane McPhee, and she was very blunt, you've got to do something about this. And we worked out a letter, we found someone, well, we found several options for these smaller clients and gave them plenty of time, but other advisors you could refer them to, basically? Yes, other advisors. We custody with TD Ameritrade, so we also gave them the opportunity to go to the institutional side of TD Ameritrade, and they could use the portfolio that we had set up for them. And, you know, if they ever need to call with a question, sure, call us with a question. So, like, you know, you, they're already in the portfolio you can, in theory, just sort of have that as a retail account at that point, as long as you don't go in there and muck with it, like it's exactly you know, do its thing for, for a while from here. Exactly. And so far, it's gone really well. It's, it's been a smooth transition. I know some clients haven't made that change yet, but by the end of September, I believe, they're all going to be delinked. So how, do you, how did you break the news to them? We wrote a very careful letter. And then like what's the, what's the angle? Like you just, we, we can't serve you anymore. We're not a fit for you or, or some other messaging. Well, it was that our minimums have gone up Okay, and it wouldn't be fair to expect you to pay these minimums. And so we have some alternate suggestions for you and please call us. And then some of the clients got direct phone calls okay. too. And did you ever consider at all trying to sell that segment of the practice as opposed to just saying, I wish you well, here's someone else to work with? We really didn't. And the main reason is, well, two reasons. Nobody around here really does planning the way we do and focuses on investment management the way we do. And secondly, it just didn't sit right with me to sell clients. Yeah. So we wanted to be there to assist them and talk to them. And I didn't want 
for them to have the idea that, well, you had this value to us and I got some money for you. Yeah. Okay. So just tried to make sure they they were shepherded all in the right place. And, and I take it, these were the smallest clients in the books so are kind of the old 80-20 rule. The bulk exactly. of your revenue comes from the, the top 20. So by the time you got down to the bottom 50 out of 150, like it's a lot of people, but it it really wasn't a lot of revenue for the for the practice. Yes, and it it sounds almost cold the way I'm telling it right now, but it was a it was a very difficult decision because these people were friends, we'd known them. Some of them, you know, they had a simple plan and they'd leave the employer but keep the keep the money with us. So, so you've got these like $17,000 simple IRA, but something someone you've worked with for 12 years kinds of scenario. Yeah, 7,000. It went down to seven hundred. I'm embarrassed to admit, but it did. So, you know, I, I know always the the flip side argument on these discussions about whether to let go of clients is you know, seven thousand dollar accounts usually don't call very often or have a lot of demands either. So, what what was it that led you to make the decision to actually end the relationship with them instead of just kind of letting them hang out on the books and and just not meeting with them as much maybe because there's there's yeah because their accounts don't 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 make the math work on meeting regularly you know we talked about that and that was one reason we hadn't done anything sooner it's, they're really we hardly hear from these people they're really good folks and they pay their bills on time and everything yeah. but we just really need to consolidate our efforts from the back office side because whether it's a $7,000 account or a $700,000 account, we still have the same compliance needs and we still have to reach out once a year and it just added up. Yeah. So so you're now refined down to 100 clients or so and and – what is the 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 fee model look like for these folks? Like, are you, are you charging assets under management, and there's some asset base there, or are you primarily straight planning fees? Like, how do you measure the size of the business? You know, that's that's interesting because everybody measures financial planning firms by AU, AUM, yep. and we still have some AUM clients who really weren't interested in planning, so. We've continued with those, the larger clients, and our business going forward, though, is flat fee. So we have three different tiers of flat fees, and that's what we promote. Okay. But, but that's, that's new clients going forward, not necessarily where you were, where you were in the past. Exactly. So are you looking to convert? existing AUM clients over to this flat fee structure as well? Or are you going to hold on to AUM clients doing AUM and simply do the the new fee structure going forward for the new clients? Well, what we plan to do is give those clients the choice. Do you want to come in under this fee schedule? Or are you happy where you are? We've already reached out to one of our larger clients and said, you know, you're paying us X number of dollars, at this point, you would save money by going onto the new system, and you might want to consider that. So we're going to approach those clients, but it's just been a whirlwind lately. We've just been really, really busy. Yeah. So what is the 
what does the fee structure look like going forward? You mentioned three tiers of of planning fees. So what will like what are the tiers? How what do you price? Like how does this work? Okay. So we have a basic tier that's five thousand dollars per year with a thousand dollar setup fee. And that is full comprehensive financial planning, but not investment management. So we give recommendations. We'll give them a portfolio that we recommend for their 401ks, 403bs, or other individual accounts. And we'll still give them advice for investments, but they manage it and implement themselves. So the second tier premium is 2500 a quarter. And we do what we have for the basic, the same services, and we manage investments up to $1 million. And the third tier, which is really a bargain for somebody that has a lot of assets to manage, is that we do all of that. We are also in-person quarterback for meeting directly with attorneys, insurance agents, CPAs, if they're not using our firm, and investments over a million dollars. Okay. Interesting. So so with, with kind of these investment thresholds sort of indirectly tied, you, you're, you're not running an AUM model, but there is kind of a dividing line here that if you've got a large portfolio, you still have to opt into the top tier. Yes. You get a bunch of other planning services as well, but, but you still kind of nudge people over or under that line about whether they're going to land at the at the $10,000 a year retainer fee or the $15,000 a year retainer fee. Right. And the reason we did it, we added, let's see, differentiated according to whether we were managing investments is because so many of our clients were coming to us with 5, 10, even more different investment accounts. And yes, we'll manage it, but man, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So just the the raw implementation of the of the investment management adds some piece to their accounts, but you're not doing it. I guess, and I mean, anybody under a million dollars, if they want an account managed, they have to move up to the second tier. But it doesn't actually matter how large the account is. Although I guess, obviously, if it's if it's a tiny starter IRA, they probably don't want to pay the higher fee just to have a very small account managed. They kind of figure out for themselves where that threshold is of couple hundred thousand dollars before it, it probably makes sense to switch up. Right. And we'll tell them that. We'll say, you know, you you handle it. We will give you the portfolio. We'll even rebalance, give you the rebalancing once a year. You have to be in charge of the relationship with the custodian. Okay. And so what led you this direction in the first place? Like, was there concerns about the AUM fees that you were doing before and how it was growing that you wanted to move to this this flat fee kind of structure? What what brought you in this direction? Well, that's a very good question. I'm very involved in the White Coat Investor website. White Coat Investor. So for, for those who aren't familiar, what's White Coat Investor? That is the largest doctor physician financial website on the, on the web and the most popular. Actually, I checked on the statistics today. They get around half a million hits per month. Wow. Yeah. And let's see, 130,000 to 150,000 new hits per month. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. 
And so, well, let me back up. This has been a blog since 2011. Okay. In, in 2016, Jim Dolly started a forum. And this forum was like dynamite. I mean, he has so many people going to this website. It wasn't hard to populate the forum. People were signing up. They were posting questions. They were commenting. So I got involved like on the second day. However, the history of the blog is that he is very much against AUM fees. So it's like AUM is evil. And I knew it's like it, this is this is Jim's personal opinion as the guy who who runs the blog and the website. So like that's his house. These are his rules. <laughs> exactly. He says, you're in my living room. These are my rules. And he writes articles that discuss why AUM is not the way to go and how people get ripped off and so forth and so on. And so all of the followers or most of the followers have that same opinion. So I knew if we were going to work with doctors who came to us through this website, that that was going to be an automatic turnoff and we had to do something. Okay. So the, so the fee structure, you moved into a retainer fee style structure to be able to, to effectively get clients from white coat investor because they would, so I take it like Jim's not, against advisors necessarily. He's just against advisors that charge AUM fees. Well, he's against most advisors too. <laughs> I mean, I think what actually led to him starting this blog was a bad experience with an advisor and being sold whole life insurance and getting bad advice. And he got so mad, he wasn't going to take it anymore. So he started writing this blog and he had a real flair for it. And actually, physicians are a group of people that really, really need good financial advice. And by good, I define that as a minimum, as fee only. But yeah. nobody was nobody was catering to that. So he found a space and occupied it. And I, I mean, he rules that space. Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, I, a site doing half a million visitors a month. That's a really big number. That's a yeah. lot of traffic. And you know that most of them are physicians. Because it's white coat investor and he's a doctor that writes about, I guess, investing stuff or all financial stuff for doctors. Now what? I'm not sure I understood that. What does he write about? Like it's, 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 it's all investing because it's called white coat investor or, or what does he cover? No, he covers what kind of insurance you should have, how much disability, for example. A recent blog post was on estate planning and at what point you need so-and-so estate planning. And he's remarkably knowledgeable. So he writes these excellent articles and then gets conversations going. And then he allows a lot of people to post guest, guest posts. I've been able to do four so far. I mean, if you do a fairly decent job and he has an opening, he's going to post your article, which is an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And so you're, you're literally getting clients by writing articles on a doctor's blog. Oh, absolutely. It sounds kind of inc incredible, right? I mean, relative to all the challenges that most of us have advisors 
have in getting clients, you're writing an article on a doctor's blog and getting doctor clients. It's like what, what what kind of articles do you do you write that are are that get business from from the site? Well, I try to think of topics that haven't been covered and that the normal reader with not a lot of financial knowledge would like to read. So the most recent one dissected the ADV, told told the readers how to mm-hmm. find an ADV on the website, and then went through it section by section to tell people what was important and what really was kind of boilerplate. And I think that was pretty well received. Interesting. So they kind of literally helping... It wasn't about you and what you do. It, it was just literally like, here's how you do due diligence on advisors, by, or at least RIAs, by reading an ADV. Yeah, and that's a really good point because if I were to, or any other financial advisor were to come on and say, you know, if you need anything else, give me a call. Here's my number. Right. It's an automatic turnoff. So it's very easy to come up with topics. Another one was how to find a good CPA. Another one was, should you choose a PC or a S corporation for your practice? Okay. So a very, very classic doctor-specific issue if you're in private yes. practice and trying to figure out how to structure the entity. And just try to be very, very helpful. But honestly, where most of the traffic comes from and where I get to have most of the interaction is from answering questions on the forum. Hmm. And so the forum just literally means like you, it's a message board, people type questions, you type responses, and it, and it says who you are so people can see you post things that seem knowledgeable and say, hey, I, I got to get in touch with this person. Yeah, he lets us use a signature and we can have one link so that people can click through. But what's important is just being willing to take the time and answer these specific questions, not expecting anything in return. So would you view this as as similar to some of the other Ask an Advisor forums that are out there? Brightscope did this for a while. NerdWallet did it for a while. Investopedia has launched one as well. I mean, would you view it in the same context? No, it's different. I was a NerdWallet promoter for two Almost two years, I think. And NerdWallet used to put the pictures of the top five responders on their front page. And my goal was to be number one, have my picture in the number one or number two spot. And that was out of all the advisors that were posting. And I was consistently in that spot. Wow. So, I mean, how much much time were you spending on that? I would say at least two hours a day. A day. A day. Yes. And I mean, that's basically like that's that was your marketing time. Yes. Was, was writing was writing responses on for nerd wallet questions. Yes. And ask me how much business I got from that. How much business did you get from that? Not one client. Wow. Call me a slow learner, but it did take a while for me to figure out this just isn't worth it. So a year or two of a couple hours a day ongoing to hold the number one spot. And even the number one (laughs) spot didn't produce a client. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to give you a hard time about it. I know, I'm laughing at myself. I, you know, this is one of these things I beat the drum about a couple of times on, on nerds I view over the years that like, Mm -hmm. this is, 
been the cautionary note that I've written for a long time that, that you just, the people who are typing questions into Google where nerd wallet, ask an advisor answers come up are usually not the people that are actually looking for an advisor, right? Like it's kind of by definition, if if you, if you were looking for an advisor, you would type advisor into Google, not your question. <laughs> I guess that's true. That, that would come up with a nerd wallet answer. Like the, the people who are typing the questions and reading the answers are the people who want to find the answers online and not through an advisor. So what makes answering questions on a white coat investor form different than answering questions on nerd wallet or Investopedia or one of those? Okay. I'm going to back up and tell you the one good thing that happened to me from NerdWallet. Okay. We'll throw NerdWallet bone. <laughs> yeah, we'll throw him a little bone. It is that I learned the answers to all of these questions so well that I didn't have to Google the answers. I mean, I was like a walking encyclopedia of retirement information, insurance information, anything financial planning. So that really helped hone my skills. Maybe I should have just gone back to school. I don't know. But it did help hone my skills so that when the forum was started at White Coat Investor, I mean, I could jump right in and click, 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 give those answers and feel very confident. And I had improved my communication skills. Right. So it was it was phenomenal practice, even if it wasn't actually the forum that if even if NerdWallet wasn't the forum that actually got the results. Yeah, it it was really good. I mean, seriously, I was like Google. <laughs> I did not have to look up anything. So again, when the white coat investor started the forum and people were asking the same questions, I mean, it was great. So why do why is it that when you type the answer into Nerd Wallet, no business comes and when you type the answer into a white coat investor forum? business shows up? First of all, it was a targeted audience. And we we decided pretty quickly that, you know, we've got a big opportunity here because there aren't any fee-only planners that are appealing to physicians. The physicians are highly targeted in school and in residency by insurance companies. And so they just, by the time they're out of training, they're just pretty jaded. Yeah. So apparently, as as was Jim, causing him to be so spited that he launched a blog to exactly, exactly attack those practices. So if you're if you're reading a white coat investor forum, it's just the you're there because you're a doctor, which probably means you have some financial means because doctors tend to. So just it's much more likely that someone who's there actually is qualified to do business with you. And that means a few of them do. Is that, is that basically what it comes down to? Well, it does partially. Another thing that has been very helpful for me is I didn't just read the questions that pertain to me. There are a lot of, it's not all totally financial and when somebody would post something about their clinic or their practice, and I would read all of those and follow them because I was passionate just about learning what I needed to know about doctors that I didn't know. And so the information was there in that forum and just out in the open. So, Interesting. so you know, it's that old, like, 
how do you really learn about the issues in your niche? Like, well, go read their forums and message boards and see literally what they're talking really? about. It's actually out yeah. there in public if you go and look. Yes. And, you know, I knew a lot of the conversation I was having was not with doctors who have been out of school for a while and who have million-dollar accounts. A lot of these are physicians who are just graduating residency, and not only do they not have any assets, they have negative net worth. Because they got a giant student loan for med school. Yes. And they, so they're graduating. They have come from earning about $50,000 a year and being burdened with all this student loan debt to all of a sudden having these high, some of them high six figure salaries. And it's such a temptation to do the wrong thing that they really, really need good advice. And so they start searching online. They find White Coat Investor. They start reading at some point, they show up in the forums and then they're asking questions and then you're answering them. Yes. <laughs> I checked the other day. I've answered more questions than anybody on the forum, but it's because I'm there all the time. Yeah. But it's producing business, it sounds like. Yes. We have initial consults three or four a week, some weeks more than that. Three or four a week. Yes. That's a lot of prospects. I know it is. It's it's like our business is totally flipped. So how do they, I mean, how do they come in? Like, do they contact you through White Coat Investor Forum? Like, hey, saw your response to that tax question that was spot on. How do I work with you? Like, how do, how do they actually reach you? Some people call. We have a link on our website that you can click on and get a send a request. But the best thing for us has been to use Schedule Once. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the scheduling apps. You can just yes. put it, give people a link, and they can schedule themselves right onto the calendar. Oh, it's fabulous. So doctors will call me and say, I love the way I set up my appointment. It was so easy. It was so sharp. And you're doing a good thing. So it was it was pretty cool just to get complimented on the way we set up our appointments. So they just have a, you know, click a button and they can choose Michelle or me and they can choose the time and it's all automated. Interesting. Interesting. And and they're and they're coming to your website because they're seeing your stuff on White Coat Investors forums and then, you know, saying who is this person and like googling your name and trying to find you. Yeah, or they'll say I read an answer, it was a good answer, it was what I was looking for and what do I need to do next? Okay. So they, they'll schedule an appointment, and then I'll send a follow-up email saying, thank you for doing this. Please go to our website and read some of this information before we meet, because I want them to come kind of pre-qualifying themselves. Yep. And so here's a, here's a look at our fee schedule. Here's what so you, our... You put, the, you put the, like the fee schedule in those tiers are just right out there on the website. Yes. Well, they're in a link. You know, it's click here to find out what we cost and what you get for it. Okay. But I, I send that link to prospective clients when they first schedule an appointment because, I, you know, if somebody is coming to me expecting $200 a month for full-blown financial planning, I'd rather them know beforehand that that's not going to work. Right. 
So you can basically, you know, here's my prices. If you're not interested, feel feel free to screen yourself out and not actually not actually do this call with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to waste their time. These people are very busy. A lot of them are dual doctor couples, and I want them to know as much as possible beforehand, and then we can get down to business when we're meeting. So, how do you actually end out meeting with these folks? Because I know you're 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 not in a big metropolitan area. You're in you're in Kentucky and I guess somewhat rural Kentucky. So yes, these are these are folks that are contacting you from anywhere and everywhere all over the place. Like, are you working with some sure. of these people virtually or most of them virtually? All of them virtually. All of them virtually. All of them. We tried to break into the physician market about four years ago and found out that unless you know somebody or have some kind of an end, it's almost impossible to get through the gatekeeper. So we had really given up on that when this shift came in the way we were able to do business. And my partner, Michelle, is really good with software and trying to figure solutions out. And she put together what we needed to meet with clients, to set up the appointments, to send documents electronically and get electronic signatures. Mm. Oh, so you like your whole, the whole onboarding process for you is all digital, is all virtual? Yes. I guess it has to be because they're, they're not in the area. <laughs> it has to be. And it, it's really cool because these are busy people. They can meet in their homes with their, they don't have to run, get a babysitter. So there, a lot of times the kids are running around, they're in their very, very casual clothes. And we just fit meetings into their days. Interesting. And so they'll, I mean, they'll hire you at five and 10 and $15,000 retainer fees sight unseen. Well, I call it face to face because we're looking at each other. We're using, we're using any meeting. We're thinking about going to Zoom, but I'm so used to doing it that way. To me, it's like they are sitting in my office. Okay, because it's all because it's all video conference. So any meeting is a video conferencing yes. tool. Zoom is a yes. a video conferencing tool. So, like, are are basically all of your meetings then video meetings with clients? Yes, or do you they also are. Do phone and email and the rest. Well, okay. I do very few face-to-face, I'll say that. And those are with the clients who are already with us. All of our physician clients are virtual. And yes, if they need to follow up with emails, some people do want to talk on the phone. But most people were looking at each other on the computer screen. Okay. And so so I'm, I'm curious how this shift came about for you. Like... You did nerd wallet forums. It didn't work so well. You did white coat investor forums. It started working better. And then you did all these changes to your fee schedule and decided to go into a niche or, or did it come the other way around that like you were doing nerd wallet stuff? It wasn't going well. You said, geez, we got to do something different. Decided to go after a niche, decided to make a doctor's found white coat investor and then, and then like pursued accordingly. I think there's sort of a chicken and egg thing here, which came, which came first in the change for you. That's exactly right. The niche found us. So we had planned on working with local doctors, and then we had given that up because we just couldn't get into their offices. Because doctors have 
gatekeepers and their office managers are pretty much trained to keep financial people like us away from them. Exactly. Yes. So we had just decided, okay, we're going to go back to same old, same old. And then this forum came up in January 2016. And I mean... A month later, I was saying, this is going to be big. And we didn't have any phone calls at that point. But just being able to interact directly with these physicians who needed help, they pre-qualified me. It's like when when they came to their first appointment, it was almost like we already knew each other. Because they've, you may not know them, but they've, they've read your things in the forum. They've probably scrutinized your website because... These are doctors who like looking things up online, so apparently they are, they're they're <laughs> going to read a whole bunch before they contact you. So they've already made the decision they like you before they even ever bother setting meeting with you. Right. So it's not me trying to get you as a client. It's you saying, you know, I need a good financial advisor. I know I want a fee-only financial advisor. I like the way you write. I'd like to know more. Hmm. And you're you're kind enough to say yes to some. <laughs> oh, that's another thing. Traditionally, I've heard so many people say doctors are horrible to work with. You don't want to, you know, God complex and all of that. The physicians that come through the White Coat Investor website or any of these others, you know, now there's a lot of other physician financial websites. When they come through these sites, they already have a level of knowledge about financial planning, about taxes. About, they have already started doing their due diligence. And they are bought into this, I'd like to work hard, save my money, do the right things with my money, and maybe retire early. But I don't know what those things are. And so that's where they need the help. Like they don't, they're they know how to look up technical stuff online. They don't know how to figure out some of the trade-offs and the and the decisions. Well, they they've said, you know, I'm busy. I've tried doing this on my own. It's just too complicated. And it's not that they're dumb, too complicated in that way, but it's that it takes so much time. I'd rather have a professional to work with and I trust you. Because they've read all your stuff. So they're they trust you. I think so, but also because I am giving away a ton of free advice, and I enjoy it. I really, truly enjoy doing that, and I'm not trying to push people to me. The information's available. I'm I'm not on the forum to say, you know, click here for and get your free consultation. They know how to do that. So how did you otherwise figure out like how to go after these folks? I mean, was it just down to... I've done the Q&A thing. This forum looks interesting. We're going to try it. It started working. So you kept doing it? Or was there kind of other stuff to how you set this up in the first place? Well, yes. We redesigned our website and we put an area in based upon the advice of a physician to put in an area that said for doctors only. And we put all of our physician-related information in that area so that when they come to our website, they see that link there and they can go right to their own special space. And you, I mean, does it like literally block them? If you're not a doctor, you can't, you can't, no. read, the, you can't read the four doctors. Only <laughs> no, section. no, 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 no. Okay. But 
we want to make it clear that we work with physicians, we know what we're talking about, and if you're a physician and want to talk to us, here's what you need to learn. And we have a blog there where I post articles for physicians, but that are also, you know, they're appropriate for business owners and other people. But I do blog about issues that are discussed a lot on the forum that people have questions about. And then we write a newsletter each month. They can sign up for the newsletter, and we do it ourselves. And it has a, you know, a doctor dilemma. It has a video. It has an article. And it's all targeted toward doctors. I think it's an interesting phenomenon to have a, you know, something like a, a for doctors only section of the of the website. Everybody who's not a doctor says, what the heck is that? But if you are a doctor, it's like, ooh, there's, something, for me. there's something special for me. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, and- so do your like do your existing clients who aren't doctors start asking you questions like what's with the four doctors only thing on the website? They haven't really asked about that area of the website. You know, if somebody's a client, they're probably not going to your website over and over and over. They've they've seen it. They know it's there. They know how to look up your picture, but there's they, usually they no reason to keep going back. At this point. Yes. Yes. So there's not any reason to go there. But because we've, I believe, because we have so much rich content in the For Doctors Only section, that we do get more return visits. So. Well, and we had Evelyn Zolan on the podcast in the past. Episode twenty one. Yes. So kitchens.com slash twenty one. Yeah, if, if anyone wants to go back and listen. You know, Evelyn also had a firm that she pivoted into a niche. She, you know, was a generalist and then started focusing on women in transition. So a lot of widows and divorcees. And you know, it kind of made a similar comment that her 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 website and her marketing got pretty specific to the new niche. And you know, I know so many advisors like their fear is if I go into this new niche, am I gonna alienate all my clients? And Evelyn's comment was, was, you know, they already like me and they already work with me. And frankly, they don't look at my marketing very much because they already like me and work with me. So yes. it's really not an issue. Like most of them don't even notice. Even if they do, they like working with me because they're already with me. So they tend to just hang out. And it's not a big deal to them unless you make it a big deal, which obviously you're not going to do. Right. And I think that it held us back in the past from really trying to focus in one. I know because I have read your website for so long that we should have had a niche sooner. But you do have that question. Are all my clients going to be turned off and go somewhere else? Well, no, they're not. You're still the same advisor to them. They still trust you. And as long as you're still providing the same services, and, and I had to explain this to a couple of clients, no, nothing's changed. You're our client. We're here for you. We'll do, give you the same services. However, we are focusing on the physician business because we are growing that area so much. Well, and again, you know, when, you, when you say like, you know, when you're getting a couple of new prospects a week, even if a couple of older clients, like you know, older existing pre niche clients, start leaving, like you're going to replace them way faster than they're going to be able to leave when when you start getting that much momentum and growing in a niche. Yeah, but you know, these people are our friends. We are very close to our clients, so I don't look at it as okay, you go, I'll 
I'll find your replacement really soon. Mm. I want to have that same close, warm relationship just because I know their lives. They're special to me. Yeah. And so as you look forward from here, like I, you know, you're only 18 months into the niche from you know, really getting active on the, the forums in early 2016, you're, you're already seeing all this momentum of, of new client business. So, I mean, where do, you, where do you expect it to go from here or what else are you looking to do with it from here? Oh, my. Okay. One thing we're going to do is add what's called skinny planning. We skinny have planning. Skinny planning. Okay. And this is for physicians who are still in training. So when they're in training, like, like we said, they have the huge student loan debt. They're only making about $50,000 a year. Sometimes both spouses are in training and making $50,000 a year, but they desperately need financial planning. So we're going to offer this for a year at half price for physicians in residency. We'll see how it works, but we're thinking if we can start working with them then and helping them when they're out of training, that they'll be probably stay with us. And I guess presumably if they're if their income's more modest at that point, like there there probably aren't as many complex planning issues going on yet. So you can you can afford to work with them and service them on you know skinny planning for skinny pricing. Yeah. And and that's what it took us a few months to work this out and we haven't rolled it out yet. We're gonna do it before the end of the year. But we really thought about what are the most important areas for physicians while they're in training. Well, one is student loans. One is cash flow is a real big one. Okay. And then they already want to start investing for retirement. So we're going to work with them on retirement planning, just getting those back, not backdoor, getting those Roth IRAs set up and talking to them about, okay, you can still do this once you are making a lot of money. We're going to do the backdoor Roth IRA and just doing some education. So I'm still kind of fascinated or curious about how you got over the hump to make this change. Like you'd mentioned it was, it was a hard change. You'd, you'd talked about switching to a niche. You were concerned about what would happen to all the existing clients if you made the, the switch. Like what ultimately pushed you over the line to try to make the switch anyways, despite all those concerns. Is that like a coach pushing you? Is that some yes. point in the business that you just weren't happy with and needed something to change? Well, we kind of had our own ideas and we were muddling along and changing the website and changing our fee structure. And then we, you know, Michelle and I sat down and said, you know, this is ridiculous. We need to hire a coach that knows what she's doing, invest some money and we hired Diane McPhee of DMAC Consulting, and she forced us to do the difficult tasks. And she also, she if I write a letter, the fee structure we had have now is different from the one that we had when we started because we realized that we weren't charging enough. We were having way too many meetings, 14 meetings. And Diane, Diane came in and said, no, 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 no. Your financial planning process was 14 meetings. Can you believe that? <laughs> I, I just, I'm sorry, I have to ask, but I, 
did the clients show up for 14 meetings? <laughs> it just that's a lot of meetings. Well, we, we had to do some nudging. But, you know, in the beginning, we when we were talking to the prospective clients, we would say, and we have 14 meetings. We go into, and they were going, yeah, wow, you do all this stuff. Well, then you start the meeting process, and it's like, how soon till I get a plan? <laughs> I want to see the numbers. So. We've trimmed that down. We haven't taken away the services, but we've kind of rearranged things so that they can get a plan sooner and get excited because they're not going to get really excited until they they can see some projections. So what does the, the planning meeting process look like for you now? Well, we use eMoney software. We love eMoney software. We changed to that from Money Guide Pro that Again, this was part of our huge upheaval. Michelle came to me and said, you know, we're going to be working virtually. I think eMoney is going to be better suited to this. And it's hard learning curve, but it's been great. So the first meeting. What wasn't, I'm sorry, I'm just curious. I was like, what, what wasn't working around using Money Guide Pro virtually? Like, I mean, I presume either of them, you can do a screen share with a client in any meeting or Zoom yeah, or whatever yeah. you you use like what what was it that pushed you away from money guide pro and over to eMoney advisor well first of all we weren't that dissatisfied with money guide pro and man it's a heck of a deal you know it costs 9.95 per year if you have a discount through your yep broker firm whereas eMoney advisor is retailing i think for 324 dollars a month now we just pay it all at once and forget about it. <laughs> it's about four thousand dollars. It's about four thousand a year. Yeah. But what eMoney does is allows the clients to connect with all of their accounts. They eMoney will even keep track of their airline miles. But they have their own special little area that they can see from day to day the change in their net worth. They can we can put a budget in it and it's live it all syncs so it's because it's so it's it's not about the planning software actually for you at this point it's the portal like it's all the stuff that happens on the portal the portal's great i mean they have their own file cabinets that they upload information and we see it immediately but yes then we get you know and the funny thing is We've been working with these clients for months. We're just now getting to the point that we're really having a huge crop of plans, you know, that we're going to have to, they're all coming in at once. So we're figuring out, well, what do clients want to see and what do clients not want to see? And trying to use e-money as best we can, but also trying to come up with our own executive summaries for them to use. Interesting. So, so what does the planning process then look like? So you do some data gathering and load them in the e-money, or how does this get started? Okay, so we used to send clients these long lists to take home and bring us all of this to the office and fill out all of this information. Right, all the all the homework, right, the get started yes. homework. Yes, pages and pages, and we would lose some clients at that point. <laughs> just, are you kidding me? So with e-money, they just link their accounts into eMoney, they upload their documents into their vault. We never send people, say, send us this paper information. We just say, do this. We're going to be able to see it. We're going to be able to ask you questions. So the first meeting is a training meeting on eMoney. 
Interesting. Your your first your first meeting with clients as opposed to doing data gathering is training on e-money so that they can gather their own data basically. So that they can yes. And it just makes things so much more efficient. And again, these are physicians. They're smart people, they're scientifically oriented. Technology is not a difficult situation for them and they like as far as we can tell, they like having their own access and control. So So you don't have a lot of the, you know, oh my God, I can't connect my financial account to the internet. I'm afraid of the privacy and the security and what's going to happen with all of it. Like that that's not a concern for them. Well, so many of them are used to using Mint and YNAB and all of these other programs. We send them information on the security of e-money and then we I'll upload I mean, I will send them a little sheet and then we'll send them a link to e-money security and it's double encrypted. It's, it's wonderful. And maybe one or two have said, you know, I'm not sure about this, but then they always change and they just go with the flow. They say they're not certain and then they start using, it's like, oh, this is actually handy. I think I'm, I think I'm good with this. And it's, and it's easy. And yeah, we haven't had anybody say we can't do this. Yeah. So, so the first meeting, instead of being classic data gathering, is basically e-money advisor training, so they can mm-hmm. gather and input their own data because it all gets aggregated in. So then, what what's yeah. next? Under our new system, cash flow. So we have a meeting for goals and cash flow. And Michelle, my partner, is the expert with cash flow. She's she's a budget guru. She's good with credit cards and. Anything to do with cash flow, she's her family's on a tight ship. So the next goal is for us to get a handle on their cash flow, get a budget together. And this is so eye-opening for so many clients. They'll say, you know, I've never really had a budget. And this is showing me so much because in eMoney, once you link your accounts, it's going to go back to the beginning of last year and show you where you've been spending all your money. So you you get rid of the infamous, you can't do budgeting with clients about their cash flow because they don't know where their money is going in the first place. And the people who need the most help know the least about where the money's going because e-money just yanks all of it in automatically and just shows them here it is. Like here's your, here's your instant spending x-ray. And it's not just that. It's also pulling in their credit cards. So they know really what they're spending their money on. Okay. Okay. So... So second meeting, so first meeting essentially is training on eMoney Advisor. Second meeting is basically using the cash flow information that the eMoney Advisor is now grabbing in so that you can yes. start doing cash flow, budgeting, and and talking about goals. Right. And we emphasize that cash flow to begin with, to get a financial plan, at least the way we do it, is king. Until we get your budget down. And and we also say, you know, this isn't a beat you over the head budget that you've got to stick to. That you, you know, we're going to make you feel guilty if you went over budget. This is information. So once you see the information and where your money's going, it's very much, it's very easy for them to make those changes that they, you know, had been talking about forever. Yeah. So the so the second meeting you're going through goals and cash flow and budgeting. So then what happens next? Next is investment and retirement planning. That's one of our core meetings. 
So when a client signs up with a signs the engagement letter, they each get a copy of Nick Murray's Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth. Oh, so you actually send them a copy of the book. We send them a free copy of the book. If if it's a couple, they each get their own copy of the book and with the instructions to please read this before we have our investment and retirement planning meeting because this book totally explains our philosophy about investments and why we make the recommendations we do. And then we have a little PowerPoint during that meeting hitting the highlights of the book and just go into that in depth and answer their questions. But if they're not sure what a mutual fund is even and why do we, you know, what's short term, what's long term, how do we allocate their investments? So we want to have this meeting. In fact, we insist on having this meeting before we make any investment recommendations. Okay. Okay. So this is not an investment implementation meeting. This is like a investment education plus retirement yes. projections. Well, we're not doing retirement projections yet, but it's talking about saving for retirement, what kinds of accounts. Let's look at the accounts that you have right now. Let's look at what you're doing. You filling out your 401k. Do you you have a 457B? Do you want to start a taxable account? So we're talking about all those accounts. Okay. But after that, it's very. It sounds like it's very education oriented, since a lot of these they're they're younger doctors in their 20s and 30s. Yes. They just they don't understand this stuff yet. Or they they do, but they may not understand the way we do things. And we believe it's very important to develop trust that they have to understand why we make the recommendations that we do and understand the logic behind it. So otherwise, you know, the market goes down, you're going to be getting all these panic phone calls. Right. That's, right. that's not our game. Right. We emphasize with them the market is going to go down. This is what we're going to do. And we're happy to talk to you. We'll we'll help you through it, but we're not going to sell and sit on the sidelines, so to speak. So after this meeting, they get an IPS. Okay. So now now we've got some understanding of what kind of risk they're comfortable with, what sort of portfolio it fits their their goals and their situation and their risk tolerance. Right. So they get the IPS, and then we make our recommendations about how how we think they should be investing their money. And at that point, we're ready to do the initial foundation plan. Okay. So this is, we're, we're effectively at a fourth meeting now? Yes. Okay. And so this is your foundation plan. This is when you start doing like classic projections, retirement planning projections and things like that? Yes. And we emphasize to our clients that this is only the foundation. Your plans are going to change maybe even tomorrow. So we're going to keep up with it. We're going to keep an eye on it. But if something big happens, say, next month, just let us know and let's put it on the agenda to have at our next review meeting. Okay. And so you go through the foundation plan meeting. That that ends sort of where? Like now you're going to start crafting recommendations beyond the investment portfolio because we did an IPS at the end of the last meeting? Yes, we're going to implement the investment recommendations. And then we're going to have another meeting of their choice at that point on areas that we didn't have to figure out before they got their foundation plan. So kind of insurance and estate kind of stuff? 
Yes, yes. And it depends upon where they are in their lives. You know, a single physician, not married, no kids, estate planning is not a big priority. But disability insurance is. And making sure that their assets are protected in case they get sued is. So we'll review all of that and discuss that. Okay. So that's kind of the fifth meeting and maybe additional meetings if they have a bunch of additional stuff. Yeah, and then additional meetings are as they as they need them according to their needs. It's amazing to me how many physicians we have that are first and second generation Americans. Mm. And for these physicians, a big goal for them is being able to support their parents. So one of our meetings mm. is children and parents and preparing ahead if you know if you're wanting to be able to support your parents or family members because so many of these physicians' families, they'll get out of school and they kind of look to them to pick up all the pieces if somebody needs money. Right. So we're kind of helping them with those conversations. We got you to med school and through it so that you can come home and support the family. That's part of the part of the deal. Well, yeah. I mean, they're supposed to be the rich doctors and they have it made. And, you know, what we know is that these physicians celebrate when they get to zero net worth. It's a big deal. Because yeah, it's not negative anymore. You 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 actually exactly. over overcame the mountain of student loans. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the process, this sort of five meetings, potentially extending a little further if they've got a bunch of other issues, but that's that's the core of what their five thousand dollar minimum planning fee buys them. Well, ongoing planning throughout the year. I mean, Michelle's going to check in in three months to see how their budget's going and check on their cash flow. Then three months after that, we're going to revisit the plan and see what needs tweaking, see if they just want to be on autopilot for a while or if they have questions. But there's with these physicians, there it just seems like there's always something coming up. They might not, not like their job and want to do some locums on the side, want to move to a different state, get pregnant. Yeah. It's one of the things I've always commented, you know, we see this all the time in XY Planning Network as well, that, you know, I always hear these questions like, well, after you do the initial plan for folks, like, what do you do on an ongoing basis if you're charging them an ongoing retainer? Because, I, you know, I see this in our advisory firm. We work with a lot of retirees and, you know, after you get through the first couple of years of stuff and they're retired and their life stabilizes, like not a lot of new stuff tends to come up as planning issues until like a, yeah. there's a health event or something happens that, that, that changes their lives. But you know, we see this all the time on the XYPN side that when you're, when you're working with folks in their twenties and thirties and even, even well into their forties, like life changes so much. So often at that point, yes. you know, you're, you're, you're working and then you meet someone and then you're dating and then you're merging household finances and then you're getting married and then you're having kids and then you're buying a house and then you're getting a divorce and <laughs> and then you meet your second love and then you're getting married again and now you're a blended family and you've had three job changes in the meantime and and like so much stuff happens that life doesn't tend to be that stable there's a lot of ongoing planning things that just come up cuz life happens Exactly. And not just life that happens, but their goals change. I mean, I'm asking people in their early 30s, when do they want to retire? Well, they, you know, 
they have an idea, but then they say, you know, I'd like to work longer, I'd like to retire sooner and just work part-time. I was speaking with a physician the other day and his wife, and they said, oh, by the way, we've decided we don't want that vacation home. So wonderful. Let's change your plan. Free up some dollars in your plan. Yeah. That's not going to be difficult, but the point is that we want them to have clarity that the decisions they make today aren't going to come back and bite them in 10 years and that that I'm not having to say, okay, guess what? You spent $20,000 extra on vacations every year. You got to work three more years. They want to know that sooner so that they can make that decision with that knowledge. And in general, is your ongoing meeting structure with clients basically quarterly like you said there's a lot of these sort of three months then we do this three months then we do that is is that kind of the the default structure you charge quarterly retainers and you meet quarterly with clients that's the plan as i mentioned earlier we're just now getting to this big crop of physicians that we're doing a lot of plans for so tentatively we're planning on meeting quarterly but being available for those questions and to give them that information when they reach out to us. So we really, really encourage them to be in contact with us and not let a big decision sit, but to go ahead and talk to us when we can do something about it. And and all of these meetings are virtual? Yes. So just straight video chats, or do you do a lot of like, screen sharing as well or or i mean how do these how do virtual meetings get conducted for you screen sharing absolutely so the very first meeting the initial consult can be either facetime or any meeting because we don't need to screen share on that but after that we use any meeting and as i said we're thinking about going to zoom we've tried that a little bit really like it what what don't you like about any any meeting by just like contrasting the pictures don't seem to be as clear. I mean, mm. we're pretty happy with any meeting, but Zoom seems to be clearer, and it seems to require less bandwidth. So we don't have as many frozen screens. But we've, you know, we've got to take some time with that and make sure it's not just a fluke. But we definitely need to share screens because they're they are in e-money, we're in e-money, and we're showing them all of this information. Right. And how long do the meetings usually last, this, this series of four or five meetings? Like, is this still the classic hour and a half to two hour planning meetings? You're just, you're just doing them virtually? Yes. So in the beginning, these meetings, when we're really digging deep and trying to gather all this information and get it input and discussing goals and having the conversations, it's going to be one to two hours. Okay. And then... On the ongoing basis, it's just kind of, it is whatever it, whatever it is. If there's a lot of stuff on the agenda, there's a lot. And if it's, there's not much, it's a quick check-in, then it turns out to be shorter. We'll probably block out two hours, but be prepared. We, you know, some clients don't like to talk a lot. Some clients do. We're kind of getting to know who's who. Yeah. So we can kind of tell in advance how long a meeting's going to last. Yeah. And you know, a really cool thing about the virtual is that, The husband and the wife, both spouses aren't always in the same place. So we have some physicians who do locums and travel around. And then another one may be at the hospital at home where she works. 
and they both log in from where they are, and we have these three-way meetings, and they don't have to totally upend their schedule just to find a place right. and a time that they can get together. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Like, you're working with folks in their 20s, 30s, and 40s where just logistics of who's going to take care of the kids for a few hours while we go to the advisor's office for a meeting is a non-trivial stress point. Exactly. And, you know, that's one of the most beautiful things of doing virtual planning is I will see the husband and wife sitting in their room at the breakfast table with the computer up and then these sweet little kids wandering in and being held. Just it's so non-intrusive to be able to do it this way. So as you look back now on this transition that you've made in, in, into the niche and all of the, all of the business development that's coming from it. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like what would have had to happen for you to have made this change sooner? Like, was it just, you had to try other things that didn't work for long enough to be willing to take the plunge to try a niche? Oh man. It almost seems like it happened the way it was supposed to happen. I was ready to start to just jump into this forum and try to help people because I had nerd wallet. I mean, it didn't get me any clients, but it did help me gain confidence in answering questions online. And, you know, when you are answering questions on a physician forum where there are thousands of physicians reading the answer and one of them may know something you don't know, you've got to be really careful that you don't screw up and say something that everybody will jump on you for. So it can be kind of nerve-wracking. But as far as the timeline, I just think it happened the way it was supposed to happen. Wow. And how many like how many doctor clients are 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 coming through at this point? How much is your business shifted to doctors over the past 18 months? Oh, I'm working almost 100% with doctors. Now, Picture this, last summer we had three physician clients. Between our two firms right now, we have almost 100. Between the, the planning firm and the CPA, CPA firm? Some firm, some clients are CPA, and I haven't really even talked about that, but we get a lot of CPA clients too. Some are planning clients, and we've got a waiting list for the planning clients. It's just six to eight weeks, but it's still, we're being very careful about not onboarding too many at once. We want to be able to give the time that each one of these clients really, really needs. And then, of course, the irony for at least some of them, there's there's nothing like making a prospective client really anxious to work with you than telling them they have to wait two months. Oh, <laughs> I guess. We don't use that as a selling tool, but I mean, it, it no, is. No, I, I know. I, I know, but I, I've I've... I've seen a similar phenomenon. You know, one of my, you know, one of the challenges for me when I got to the point where the business had grown to a level that I need, you know, any client that came in and wanted to work with me had to get handed to another advisor because I have yeah. many other businesses and things to do. And I had to start telling people that they can't, they couldn't have me, they couldn't work with me. It just made them want to work with me more. <laughs> Just the fact that I told them they can't seem to make them want to do it more. It's it's a there's an interesting mental psychology trick there. And like I mean, I wasn't I wasn't doing it to try to like negative sell them to get 
to make them want to work with me even more. Like I really, really couldn't work with them. They had to work with one of the other advisors in the firm. But there is like a really weird, strange psychology that sometimes comes from that. You know, when growth picks up and you have to manage the growth by slowing people down and you tell them there's a waiting list, like from there and it's just like, wow, I wasn't sure if I should work with this advisor, but I decided to go for it and I contacted her and I found out she's got a six to eight week yeah. waiting list. Like, <laughs> well, now like she really must be legit. I wasn't sure before, but like she won't take my money. It's got to be yeah, real you now. Mean people are waiting. Yeah. People are waiting to. Yeah, yeah, it is kind of interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Funny all those mental games we play. So, where does this go for you from here? Like, just you're going to keep doing white coat investor forums as long as you can. Are Are you now planning like other things, other other niches, or other communities, or like other ways to get to this doctor niche? Now that you're finding it works. Oh, well, there's something I didn't mention also is through White Coat Investor, I've gotten to know a female physician blogger who interviewed me and hired me for their financial planner. And she is kind of the financial guru of this huge Facebook group called Physician Moms Group, PMG. Have you heard of that? Physician Moms Group. So just, I guess, as the name implies, like physicians who are moms and Balancing physicianship and motherhood and all of the challenges that go with that kind of work-life balance. Yes. And this is an exclusive group. You cannot be a member of this group unless you're a woman okay. and a physician. So um, you can't even get in, but they kind of interviewed you in the inner circle. So you like you got a glimpse. Well, the the actually the the financial guru, the female financial guru, I was going to be in New York last year. And she said, hey, I, I posted it on White Coat Investor saying, is there any good good restaurants? Anybody recommend anything? And she said, would you mind meeting? And I said, no, that'd be cool. And I didn't know she was interviewing <laughs> me at that point. So <laughs> who'd have thought over cool, cool cocktails? So she decided to hire me for her financial planner, and she's been very vocal. Oh, like she personally hired you. Yes, yes. And so now she's, her blog is starting to gain traction and she'll interview me for her blog. And about half of our referrals now come from Physician Moms Group. See, there, there's an interesting effect there to me that it's like this, this, this to me is the classic how you market through centers of influence, right? I mean, literally, like, Jim Dahl is a center of influence. He runs a platform for the niche you want to reach with hundreds of thousands of, of readers every month. This woman runs a physician's mom's group, like with thousands and thousands of people. Like she is a literally a center of influence for that community. And you, know, most of us in the advisory world, like we all go after the same centers of influence. It's the, it's the doctor, it's the attorneys and the accountants. Cause those are the ones that do the tax planning, the estate planning for the, the clients that we typically work with. But it gets a fascinating thing to me that once you start focusing into a niche, you open up a whole new category of centers of influence that no one else is calling. That is so interesting. I had never looked at it that way. But I, you're you're on to something. You, you're, you're driving a whole bunch of referrals because you've got great, great relationships with two centers of influence. 
in your document. Yeah, as the owner of the CPA firm, I yes. couldn't market to CPAs. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's true. That was never a that was never a good COI channel for you. Yeah. No, not so much. What, wasn't an option. But that's that's pretty cool. I guess they are centers of influence, and I really hadn't thought about that. There's there's COIs no one else calls on because we all go after the same doctors and or right. the same. I keep saying doctors, the same accountants and attorneys, and you're the only one calling on the one who manages right. physician moms group. Yeah, uh, the the joys of specializing into a niche. So as we as we come up towards the the end of the the podcast here, I am still wondering just like where, where else this goes for you from here? Like, are are you with this kind of growth coming in? I mean, are you looking at hiring more people? Are you looking at making other changes to systems? Like if it really sustains several prospects a week ongoing, like that <laughs> adds up to a lot of clients very quickly. Now, obviously not every prospect says yes, but like, still going to add up to a lot of clients pretty quickly. So are, are you like, are you looking at this and saying, I just, we're going to get some for a while and then we'll get to a good place. And then I just want to live a comfortable lifestyle practice. Or are you looking at trying to build this up even further? Like where, where do you, where do you want it to go from the business perspective from here? That's an interesting question. I don't really want to build an empire, but I would like to have the firm that is thought of as the fee-only financial planning and investment firm for for physicians. So my goal is to grow judiciously so that we are economizing on the time that we spend doing things that aren't really gaining us anything and have our systems down for working with these physicians Grow. I don't know what we're wanting to grow to. I'm thinking, say, a hundred planning clients at this point that we could handle, and then I really want to hit this hard for five years and sell the the other two people in the firm want to be owners. Michelle is, and Ben wants to buy in, and that's one reason that they are here because I wanted people to work with me who were younger than me and who would want to be owners. So I'd like to sell in five years, still work for the firm, but yeah, not be yeah. working in the firm, if you know what I mean. Well, very cool. So as as we wrap up, you know, I know you listen to the podcast as well. So, you know, we tend to end with the with the same question of, you know, we talk about success and, and success means different things to different people. And so, you know, as, as you're kind of looking at your, this huge transition and then your own five-year exit plan from here? Like, How are you defining success at this point? To me, my personal success would be to use the talents that God has given me to make people's lives better. Financial planning is truly an area that I think everybody could benefit from. Whereas as a CPA, that wasn't the case. But I feel like I have found my calling and to be able to literally see people's lives change because of the information that they didn't have before and to be able to use my gifts to do that. I mean, it's like I'm not working. I'm working, but it's just a joy. It's just a joy. 
Well, very cool. I'm, I'm so excited that you found such a positive transition for the business. Unfortunately, a lot of advisors spend a lot of time in their, in their businesses, never quite get to the point where they're, they're that energized to be going. And, and here you are 10 plus years into a planning firm and 30 plus years into a, a CPA practice. And now this energized in a niche, it's, it's, it's a really, really cool thing to see. So thank you. Thank you for coming and joining us and sharing your story. Oh, thank you. I've been honored to talk to you. Thank you so much, Michael. My pleasure. My pleasure. Want even more ideas, tools, and resources on how to break through to the next level of success as a financial advisor? Check out the leading financial planning industry blog, Nerd's Eye View, at www.kitsis.com where Michael covers the latest practice management trends and financial planning strategies. And by joining the member section, you can earn IMCA and CFP continuing education credits, along with exclusive member content. Get it all now at www.kitsis.com.